HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd, the weekly cheese-focused show on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Elena Santagate. My guest today is Lilith Spencer. Lilith and I cut our teeth together at the Brooklyn Larder Cheese Counter back when that shop first opened in Brooklyn. Since then, Lilith has gone on to navigate her cheese career in fascinating and inspirational ways. After the larder, she managed the opening of Wedge, a small shop in Brooklyn, and then eventually moved to New Mexico. While working at the Cheesemongers of Santa Fe, Lilith's mesmerizing cheese platter art caught fire on social media. It is no understatement to say that Lilith directly influenced the dominant current artistic style of cheese platters in the U.S. I feel really confident saying that. She also happened to win the Cheesemonger Invitational in 2016. In recent years, Lilith has made her way back to the East Coast and has put down roots in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom as part of the team at Jasper Hill. Lilith, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So I'm actually going to jump back and talk a little bit about your very early cheese uh, days because I think your cheese origin story is like one of these unique things. It's like when people meet somebody who's actually from New York City and they're like, what? I thought nobody was. Because am I remembering it correctly that you studied cheese a bit in school? Um, yes, I did. Um, right. I went to Hampshire College in Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky um, that they have a working farm on campus. Mm. And they actually had um, a herd of Dutch belted cows. And there was a professor there who was interested in using cheese making as a way to teach micro um, microbiology and biochemistry to mm. incoming students, maybe students who were already scientifically minded and also students who 
were interested in science, but, um, you know, for whom food might be a good way to get into it if they weren't sort of already hmm. thinking that way. Um, so were they already and, making cheese or was it just a, a dairy, like liquid milk or fresh products? Were they no, doing there was full just cheese making? Milk. There wasn't uh, much processing happening um, at the time. And I'm honestly not sure. I have not been keeping up with what um, the dairy farm's been doing over there, but I know there were plans for a creamery um, before I left. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, part of my time at Hampshire was spent as a teaching assistant for this cheese making class. Um, I prepared for mm-hmm. that a little bit by doing the uh, cheese making certificate program at the Vermont Institute. Um, for artisan cheese when oh. that existed in Vermont. Yeah. Wow, lucky duck. Um, You're like one of the ones who yeah. got it before that shut down. That's so cool. I know, yeah. I feel super lucky. And it was all because I took this nutritional anthropology class at Hampshire hmm. um, where we sort of had to take a, a food of our choice and look at it from both the scientific and anthropological uh, perspective. Wow. And I thought that, that raw milk cheese was really interesting, especially in the United States, and looking at that hmm. history of how the sort of American artisanal cheese renaissance came about here, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of hooked me. I uh, started working as kind of a cheesemonger at a, my local co-op um, and ended up taking it on as my main sort of course of study at school. Uh, I am sure everyone designs their own major in course of study and does um, a major sort of thesis-style project at the end, and so mine was on cheese making and music composition, and I sort of found some fun ways to combine the two of those. Oh, wow. How, <laughs> what are one of those ways? I'm so fascinated how you combined <laughs> them. I, the main sort of event was I composed eight pieces of music uh, that were to be served as like acoustic textural pairings for eight cheeses, yes. uh, one of which was actually Bailey Hazen Blue, which I get to help make now which is great incredible (laughs) things come full circle i love that (laughs) so here's a tangential question on that note do you believe that the music when when you're playing music in the make room it's having Mm -hmm. an effect on the final cheese um i mean it's funny maybe not in the most direct way but the music has such an impact on our mood and the way we interact with each other and i Mm -hmm. think that when spirits are high, you know, yeah, better work tends to be done. I think that attitude mm. has a lot to do with it. And when people are happy, they're easier to be focused and um, mm-hmm. really care about what you're doing. So I think in, a, in an indirect way, Got absolutely. It. We don't, like, play music to the cheeses in the vault. We <laughs> music playing people are working in there, but it's not. <laughs> right. It's more about playing, yeah. playing music to the humans who can then impart yeah. that energy to the cheese. Okay, I'm, I'm sure. with you on that. <laughs> I think that's probably, that's a very um, intelligent and reality-based <laughs> answer. Sometimes I like to fantasize about, you know, just the cheese having a direct response. Absolutely. <laughs> that um, <would> be great. <laughs> so that is so cool. I mean, this is just one of the many reasons, another huge, this could be a whole other entire podcast, but one of the many reasons I wish I could go back and do college over again with my current interests and passions. Um, but I'm so thrilled to hear about how you developed that course of study and really like, sounds like you were already into cheese and then just ran with it, which is so cool. At that point, when you were in school and kind of building out that course of study, did you have a sense of what your career might look like or what you were aiming for? Uh, my my most 
sort of, I felt this like urgent, there was a goal with this like urgency to it. I really wanted to make cheese. I wanted to be a cheesemaker. Hmm. Um, I thought that was sort of like the highest honor someone could have in the industry. Like I, I don't know. I just, Hmm. I just love cheese so much. And I thought the idea of like actually producing something that a lot of people really enjoyed, um, sounded exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, so my original plan was to, you know, try to find a cheesemaker, you know, most likely near, um, Hampshire, you know, to work for and study under for a while. And I wanted to be like making my own cheese, like as soon as possible, like within a few years, that Mm -hmm. was sort of the dream. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had started working behind the counter at this local co-op, um, River Valley Market in Northampton, and mm-hmm. they had, it was not a cut-to-order cheese counter, but, mm-hmm. you know, they had a really nice selection that really celebrated local and other New England cheesemakers. Um, there weren't a lot of sort of, you know, higher-scale production cheeses uh, available in that section. Mm-hmm. Um, they really took good care of it. And there were a lot of times when I would be cutting cheese, pre-cutting cheese to put out and have interactions with customers. And I really enjoyed those moments. And that's kind mm-hmm. of when I decided, you know, maybe this is a real thing I could get into. Is there, is this a real job? Like, is there a way to do this mm-hmm. in a really serious way or in a, a more formal way? Um, what, and what yeah. part of it, what part of it do you feel like grabbed you or just sort of like grabbed your attention and, and sort of rerouted it from the cheese making endeavor? Do you feel like it was learning about the products or like having access to them? Or was it that mm-hmm. sort of like retailers storytelling schmoozing aspect or the physicality of a, of a store? Like what, I'm curious what kind yeah. of grabbed you. I think it was the storytelling thing for sure. I think Mm -hmm. that um, having this opportunity every time a customer, you know, had a question about or picked up a cheese, um, if I happened to be there to talk to them about it, you know, I was um, kind of studying these cheeses in school for, you know, various reasons of like research for Mm -hmm. my project. And so I was learning a lot about them and I felt like I was getting to know them and their makers and, you know, trying to visit creameries and stuff. And yeah, after learning, just seeing like the hard work that went into it and all of them have really interesting stories. I don't, mm-hmm. um, there's just something about sharing that with someone that I wanted to like, it became a different goal instead of like being one of those stories, you know, maybe I wasn't ready to like have that story yet, but I mm. really wanted to tell people about the right. folks who were doing it, who were making cheese and doing these amazing things. Mm. So then what brought you to New York City? Um, it was it was that kind of bug to want to be like sort of a, 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 you know, a better cheesemonger or sort of expose myself to a different kind of cheesemongering. Mm. Sort of like in New York City, things are fancy and legitimate and there's so many people and, you know, the stakes are higher or right. something. And I didn't originally really want to live in the city. I wanted to stay kind of rural or, you know, in this like college town kind of area. Um, it was a little bit scary, but I started looking online at what cheesemongering jobs were available just to see what was out there. And mm-hmm. it seemed like New York had just had this concentration of um, opportunities and really incredible um, high quality shops. And uh, I also saw a little ad on, or not an ad, but, you know, a post on Facebook for the mm-hmm. Cheesemonger Invitational mm. um, for the, what would have been the second one ever, I think. And I 
I don't know. There was something about all of it that just really enchanted me. It was like sort of intimidated me. It scared me. The idea that like I would be jumping into this place where there's actually like a competition for this thing <laughs> right. that I was so far from being qualified for. And um, I just wanted to do it. So I had a, like a whirlwind weekend trip and interviewed at a few different places. Um, and yeah, Brooklyn Larder, just um, even just the interview was a great experience. We had a really nice long conversation. Mm-hmm. Um and it, yeah, it turned out to be a great, a great fit for a long time. Yeah. And I feel like it's like the sense of community in, I mean, that's sort of a draw of a city in and of itself is just that you mm-hmm. can plug into a lot of different types mm-hmm. of community different mini communities. Um, but especially in those early, those early years of uh, the cheesemonger invitational, like before there were even that many like websites or blogs or you know, like Instagram wasn't a thing yet. And so it was like, I I remember that time and also similarly feeling like there is like a culture happening in this city of cheese people and they're doing things together and they're like really serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) you, you were definitely one of those people that I was like, and there, there's Lilith and she's totally (laughs) one of those people. Um, so then, you know, to bring back the, the art aspect of your life, you had been in, in school, you had studied, um, music and then at the larder, I mean, one of the things on top of like your extensive cheese knowledge, one of the things that you were known for in my book was the amazing, uh, chalk, uh, signage and, uh, visual displays. Um, was that something that you had done at the co-op that you'd worked in or was that sort of sort of a new aspect of the experience for you? Um, that was new, you know, that was, um, yeah, kind of a fun new skill that I picked up. I don't know. I guess, um, at the co-op we had this, you know, open case, like a self-serve case where we had to pack in a lot of like a huge variety of cheeses. I don't, I can't think of like a number, but a lot, um, Mm -hmm. probably like a couple hundred and, um, it was definitely, there was definitely some of that there, like, you know, sort of making this like case look full and neat at the same time. But, uh, I just, uh, I had good, you know, um, I don't know. I had like big shoes to fill when I, when I started at the larder, there were already people doing awesome chalkboard art and there were, you know, already cheesemongers who were, Mm-hmm. sort of running that counter and building these beautiful cheese displays on the marble. And I sort of, you know, just wanted to do good by them. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know, with the chalkboard thing, it was a little bit more, I just, I've always liked to like doodle and have had, you know, decent handwriting and like to um, do different lettering just mm-hmm. kind of for fun for little things. Um, and natural the, fit blackboard thing just kind of yeah came that one day I don't know something needed to be rewritten and someone asked right. if anyone had to stand right can anyone use chalk and... <laughs> yeah then it just becomes like a opportunity of circumstance I suppose in that case yeah and then it just you know they just started asking me to do it more and then I don't know like when Alex Sarah came on board he also started doing them and he's you know legitimately making art now mm-hmm. as well which is to see. Um, Very cool. But yeah, it's, fun. it's a fun, weird medium. <laughs> when you were at Larder, was that the first time that you had more exposure to imported cheeses? Or had you had imports um, at the co-op? 
it was definitely more, there were definitely more cheeses that I had not seen before or mm-hmm. tasted before, or maybe had read about or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, we did have imported cheeses at the co-op at my first job, but, um, definitely not as many. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that definitely upped my exposure, uh, to cheeses. I remember, you know, I had had this, I had taken this trip to Portugal with my parents while I was in school. It was right before I started college. And mm-hmm. um, my mom and I had this great experience at a kind of hole-in-the-wall restaurant where we showed up way before dinner time. They were having family meal. They weren't open, but they wouldn't let us leave, and they just kept bringing us food. <laughs> One of the things they brought amazing. us was this. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was, you know, like a torta style, like a Cicel Rennet, yeah. little sheep cheese, some local, like not a name, like, I don't know, something that he doesn't even leave the area, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, with, like, warm bread around it, and I loved it, and it, I was like, this is my favorite cheese. I just decided it was the best, but I had no idea what to call it or <laughs> where to find it. Right. But I remember at the larder, like, a few years later, the first time, you know, we got in something, I think, Zimbro, yeah. and I sort of, like, recognized it and was so excited, and, and when I tasted it, I was able to, like, confirm this wow. memory and, and being yeah. so thrilled that I, like, like found this cheese again I thought I would never find it again and mm. so that was like exciting I definitely hadn't been exposed to that kind of stuff yeah, before well, in US, that like so. perfectly explains the magic that can happen when tasting cheese right mm-hmm. um so then fast forward a little bit you you were at the larder for some time you uh for a long time and then you opened Wedge, the small shop in Crown Heights. And then mm-hmm. at, throughout all this retailing, did you feel the pull to make cheese yourself? Like, did you have kind of a plan for what you were, you know, were you adjusting your plans or how did you navigate that original desire um, with your like urban cheesemonger life? Yeah, um, I think... I think, yeah, the pull was always there. I definitely started to think more about, you know, maybe I should just start making cheese at home or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went when I went to Wedge, when I helped open that up, it was, you know, it was a really exciting opportunity to see what it takes to open a cheese shop, and mm-hmm. I learned a lot from that. And then I actually ended up going back to the lager for, like, my last year in New York because I, um, I don't know, it was... It, I was really lucky that they were so welcoming, mm-hmm. you know, open to have me back, but it was just a great yeah. fit. And I was able to kind of, um, you know, like find my role there a little better when I returned. Mm. Um, but I started getting interested in teaching about cheese. Like that started to become, mm. it was like the customer interactions felt like not, not enough of like a right. platform or something. And I was seeing that that was a trend picking up at other places that people were teaching these really in depth. Yeah classes and that sounded like fun and it wasn't something that really worked with like our space um or schedule or anything and so I that was on my mind like how can I do something Mm. that's a little a little bit more than retail but I didn't necessarily want to leave a shop but I was definitely thinking about looking for you know playing that role or creating a program or finding a place that already had a program like that right so then you left the city yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm actually going to pause us right there um, to sure. take our break. And then when we come back from the break, I'm very excited to talk a little bit about your cheese platter art and then the transition into full blown working for a producer, the rural life, bringing it back yeah. to that original desire. Um, yeah. So 
We'll be back in a moment with more on cheese work and life and this story of Lilith Spencer. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Korsha Wilson, and I'm the host of A Hungry Society here on HRN. A Hungry Society focuses on highlighting dope people doing amazing work in food, and we talk about how we can make the culinary world a more diverse and inclusive space. You can join the conversation by checking out A Hungry Society wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with fellow cheese professional Lilith Spencer. And before the break, I mentioned that I was excited to talk about uh, Lilith's amazing cheese platter art. And as we make our way through her sort of career timeline here, we've landed at the perfect moment. So, Lilith, you, you go to Santa Fe, you're at the Cheesemongers of Santa Fe, and I don't know what happened. I feel like if from my perspective, it was like suddenly I was, my Instagram feed became this like, went from being just cheese to these like artistic creations, these like masterpieces of plat, a cheese platter um, in your account <laughs> and the Cheesemongers of Santa Fe account. And I, I mean, when we were at the larder, we didn't do that type of platter that often. Mm-hmm. So I don't, was this a skill that you knew you had <laughs> or had this been, had this been dormant kind of like making its way your, your artistic, I'm curious to hear if your sort of artistic outlets had, you know, the chalk art had been one thing and music, something else. And then did you feel that you also kind of like exploded with creative energy with those platters or what happened? What, how did that yeah, happen? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I sort of don't really, I think, you know, when I started at Cheesemongers in Santa Fe, I saw, I mean, the, the people working there before, they were already making these really cool platters. They were, you mm-hmm. know, maybe not quite as, I don't know. I, I sort of, um, maybe overcomplicated them a little bit or something. I don't know. I feel like they were, but they were still these really beautiful, you know, not just neat rows of things, but like, you know, taking this round platter and using those curves and arranging things really Mm. like, you know, neatly and kind of beautifully. And, you know, with like all the pairings kind of nestled in between, that was kind of the look they were going for. And I was so excited to like have that freedom of, Mm. you know, I don't know, just, yeah, the way we were making, platters at the larder was for a different type of thing. We were it was making like many a, of small out yeah, It was it like was, more you know, utilitarian or something, the way that we made yeah. them there. It was sort and of we like... We very careful about keeping yeah. everything, you know, sort of separate and letting people arrange it how they wanted to when they got right. to their house. This is different. And mm-hmm. the sort of the, the market in Santa Fe is different. Um, you know, it's a very artistic town. There's just a lot of art there, a lot of mm. museums, a lot of galleries, a lot of they're specifically, you know, to be there because they are artists or because they love art, you know, it's hmm. like they're aesthetically focused town. Um, and people, you know, a lot of the people who live there, you know, like dress kind of boldly and, and colorfully and things like that. So it's really, I think, says something about mm-hmm. kind of reflective of the local culture, too. Yeah. Uh, 
but I didn't, I mean, it's not something I knew how to do. I just started, started making more platters mm. as I, you know, got settled at the shop. Um, or, you know, it was something that, uh, because cheesemongers of Santa Fe is the, you know, the only cut to order cheese counter in the state. They were the first, you know, cheese shop, independent yeah. cheese shop. Um, and this was, you know, there, it was hard to find people to work there who had experience. Mm. So the people there who were making the platters before, we you know, had, um, you know, the owners had trained them. And then, you know, new people coming on maybe didn't weren't ready for that skill yet in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. maybe just the, the knife skills or just doing it quickly or something like that. Right. And since I had done some sort of plattering before, even though it was totally different, I was able to jump in and... Um, even though I hadn't done it that way before, just I think just the having the that freedom, like I said, to just mm. kind of do whatever, um, yeah. made it easy, you know, yeah. to like have fun with it and come up with. And what was your process for coming up with ideas, or like how would you approach a platter, or how do you approach a cheese platter when somebody's like, you know, here's the three cheeses and here are the your accompaniments? How do you tackle it? Tell us a little bit about your process. Yeah, um, it's really, um, for me, it it really is all about the cheese. And I think that sometimes uh, if you look at some of my platters, the cheese isn't always the thing that maybe visually stands out the most or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of other stuff on there sharing the space with the cheese. So Mm -hmm. it might not seem like that at first glance, um, but I'm always thinking about the cheese when I'm putting things on there. And, you know, sometimes the customer or client will have specific wants or needs for that platter and so that dictates it but when I have like total control over all of the accompaniments I'm thinking pretty hard about what will go with the cheese if there's kind of a cohesive flavor palette Mm -hmm. um and then thinking about specific pairings you know setting the cheese down first and kind of anchoring that uh making sure there's plenty of space between each of them you know helps a lot to kind of create these pockets of compatible flavors and that's kind of how I go about it so it's mostly about you know these two things taste great together so I'm going to put them right next to each other right um so you lead with flavor yeah and then you know color there's so many like I don't know food has a great color palette like it's really pretty hard to mess up you know unless Mm -hmm. you're pairing really crazy neon tropical colors with you know very muted things. And I don't know, like it's hard to go wrong as right. long as you've got contrast and a range or you can sort of pick a mm-hmm. set of colors and run with it, you know, all purple and red or something, but it's, um, food lends itself pretty well to this sort of thing. And so it's not hard. Um, but it's kind of like the, the second priority. It's, you know, first mm. it's got to taste good and then, right. okay, here are the things that would work with this cheese. You know, what would be pretty or like, is there something else on this platter that, you know, mm. I want to have a yellow and a green and a, you know, purple thing or something. <laughs> right, right. And um, do you, do you yeah. like cut the cheese as you go and sort of like, do you, do you make a plan for the platter before you do it? Or are you more like cutting the cheese, placing things, like doing another piece and sort of like building it as you, as you do it? I kind of just do, yeah, build it as I go. I mm-hmm. mean, I start with, you know, I lay out all the cheese first and then kind of if there's, charcuterie then that's second and if not then it's sort of like from biggest to smallest kind of Hmm. like physically size-wise or you know if it's um 
kind of like the cheese and then the meats and then anything that's in like a like a bowl or container type thing vessel right. you know and then anything that takes up a little more space like big olives or something and then kind of using smaller gaps to you know fill those mm-hmm. in with smaller items you can still fit a lot in there and right. using that um spatially but uh, I don't always know how I'm going to, like, cut the cheese ahead of time. I In, like, a chop setting where I'm trying to, you know, like, turn out a number of platters in an amount of time, then it's definitely more economical to say, okay, here's, you know, the, the four rectangles of comté that I'm using for <laughs> right. four platters. I'm going to cut them all into, you know, matchsticks right now or something. Right, um, right. And, you know, some che- I try to let the cheese tell me what shape it wants to be. Cause I like it's that. a struggle to get it to do something. Maybe it's not the mm. right cut for that cheese. If it's crumbly, you know, it's not worth it to try to <laughs> right. cut pieces that are going to fall apart. You know, I don't know. Um, I like that a some lot. Some soft cheeses really don't need to be cut at all. I'm a big fan of cutting, you know, sort of like smaller soft cheeses in half uh, mm. laterally, like bisecting them so that you have them kind of like two... Two like, like open pieces in a way? Open, yeah. yeah, open cut halves, yeah, that you can scoop into. And yeah. Um, also sometimes people will eat the rind a little more easily that way if it's mm. not something they're cutting through the top. And it's, I think some people are put off by the appearance of rind yeah. on the outside of soft cheeses, so cutting them that way sometimes can encourage people to eat. Yeah, I totally see parts. that. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> it's just fun to scoop a soft cheese. Like, give yeah. me a spoon and go to town. Most people are yeah. like, don't think of cheese as something spoonable, so that's fun, too. Yeah, it's like a dip that's already ready right. to go. Yeah, yeah, the original fast food. Slow food is fast exactly. food. Yeah, um, exactly. So then now you're making our way to present day, you're up in mm-hmm. Vermont. You're working for Jasper Hill. Currently, you're do, you're working in both the dairy and also doing a little photography. Um, yeah. But how did that transition happen? Where, did you finally feel like it, at the top of near the top of the episode? You said that you were maybe not quite ready, even though you felt this urgency to make cheese. Did you feel ready to make cheese, or was it more like an opportunity that came up and you were just ready to? be somewhere else and try something new. Yeah, I mean, it was it was all of those things. I knew that I wanted to move back to the East Coast. I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to land, but I had some ideas. I remember taking a, a road trip in the fall before I moved out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, kind of scoped out some places. I, you know, had seen some job postings online and connected with some people. Uh, and I thought that I, you know, I thought I might end up back in Massachusetts, maybe back near Northampton, maybe, mm. you know, doing something with Hampshire or some other local farm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I definitely was ready to transition, like, out of retail. knew I probably didn't want to do, um, you know, the sales and marketing thing right. at this point. Um, wanted to be doing some, like, you know, physical labor. I don't know. I just really wanted more to hands-on here. stuff. And yeah, be hands-on and see what production was all about. And, um, so yeah, I took this road trip. I pretty much visited every state in New England and on the East Coast except for Vermont. I was like very confident <laughs> I would not end up in Vermont. And I, I can't tell you why I had this feeling, but I was just like, man, eh, probably not. And interesting. Uh, when I got back to Santa Fe, I was like, well, I found, nothing like I I don't or you know I just nothing felt quite right every place I went to I kept thinking you know I'm gonna go to this place and I'll have this feeling and it'll feel right and I'm gonna want to be there Mm -hmm. and it wasn't happening and then 
you know, maybe a couple of days after that, I was on Facebook and there was a posting for this apprenticeship at Jasper Hill. And I'd mm. never, like, I didn't know that was a thing. I hadn't noticed it before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I applied and had, you know, like a really fun video interview with my, you know, current manager now. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, just talked about all of it. And the apprenticeship was just this great opportunity to really um, learn. It's not, it's, mm. it's I don't know, it, it feels like truly an apprenticeship in the sense that it's about the person who's doing it and what things they're interested in learning. Jasper Hill does a really good job of putting you in mm. those positions and exposing you to those things. And it's, you know, it's not like you're this extra person, but it's you're not part of the normal long-term you know, um, staff. And so you, it's okay right. for you to kind of move around and, and see what appeals to you. And there's always, you know, kind of this hope that, yeah, you'll find a niche or you'll be able to fill mm. some sort of need and, you know, fit in really well and stick around. Um, but it's not, it's not like a requirement or, you know, there's definitely people who, you know, leave when they're done and that's fine. Right. Um, so and did I, you... you know, I went into it, I was so excited that it wasn't really, um, a super long-term commitment like mm. I was really excited to do this thing and know that like it wasn't how long was I didn't it have to promise or it's it's meant to be I think like a six to nine month apprenticeship okay and I was like I can do that I can be here it felt a little it's like very very rural yeah. you know like there's not a lot going on I just wanted to make sure so it felt like the right move um and I knew very quickly that I wanted to stay I knew mm. once I started um it was I was working more in the cellar than the vaults doing a lot of, you know, sort of off-and-on work. And then, you know, as I started to spend more time in the creamery, um, I just fell in love with it. It's, like, very hmm. physically challenging in a way that I find really satisfying um, Interesting. at the end of the day. Yeah. And it definitely was, like, a struggle in the beginning that I feel really, like, I don't know. I just It makes me feel, um, like, tough and, like, I'm doing something, Yeah. you know, my body. Like, I don't know, that's something that I yeah, it's about like, a, like on farms before I started working right or even I feel like retail was a hint of that like for me coming yeah. from an like no experience on farms or in a rural sort of hard-working yeah. environment like when I first got to the retail counter part of what I fell in love with had nothing to do with the cheese it was more just that satisfaction of the physicality yeah, <laughs> yeah like using yeah. your body and yeah, it all, it also reminds right, like that. Yeah. and like knowing where things are and like moving mm-hmm. in a way that like felt smooth. It reminded me a little bit of being yeah. on a sports team and like getting good at a yeah. sport. That's exactly what the creamery, yeah, feels like. We're all like on yeah. a team or a pirate ship or something. Like, um, I love that the sellers has a lot of employees now. Like, yeah. I don't know, like um, a lot of employees yeah. just working in the vaults and also in the offices and just like everywhere the lab you know mm-hmm. and um the yeah like the company's gotten really big but the creamery just sort of like by nature is a really tight crew there's only you know like six or seven of us that work in that building mm-hmm. and so it's um you get to know each other really well you should rely on each other a lot you know a lot of the time spent working is you know you're like maybe alone in a room cleaning a lot of sort of like heavy equipment and it's like hot and everything is wet and you know you're not music on but like you're not really talking to anyone a lot of the time and even when you're all sharing a space it's like there's a lot of noises happening or you have to focus on the task at hand and Mm. you know like 
we definitely chat and joke around when we can, but it is a lot of sort of just, you know, or just work. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I really like it. I just really, I wanted to do that. It feels really good to like wake up and do that. Do you notice day. a difference in, in the quality of your mind at all? I ask this because I'm curious about just the jumpy nature of modern work, you know, and like yeah. the, the, I mean, there's the whole thing of the devices and how much we're interacting with our phones, but even just like being in a workplace that's maybe where you're more interrupted and you're like interacting with people mm-hmm. more in these like sort of shallow conversations, conversations just to clarify something or whatever. Do you feel yeah, like yeah. that has changed at all? Have you felt something like that? shift in any way? Yeah, I do feel, um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It is really, that is part of the appeal for sure is Mm. that the job, it isn't the kind of job where I necessarily have to, um, I don't know. I can, I can be at work and I can work hard and be focused. And then I, I still, like, I do think about work when I'm not at work. Like, I, I think about cheese all the time and I, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But it's not in the same way as other types of jobs where sometimes you leave and you're, you know, like, mm. anticipating an email or a text. Or right, more of a like stressful. Or solving problems yeah. while you're not there or something. I, um, yeah, like, it's nice to have a job where you really, like, throw everything out of, like, while you're there. And, like, that's what mm. counts is, like, what you're doing, like, right with the cheese in the moment. And... Um, and also just, yeah, like we're like that kind of work, like being physical. Also, I feel it's just like helped a lot of things. I mean, Mm. I wake up super early now, a lot of days for work and then I'm, you know, but I'm done with the creamery by one or something. And then I have a lot of time to like do other things to take care of myself in other Mm. ways. And, um, you know, I have time for like a nap and still more time to, you know, have fun or be productive yeah. or whatever. Or <laughs> maybe work on your new house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's the other news that you shared with me. Listeners, Lilith was sharing with me recently that she had bought a house up in the Northeast Kingdom, totally putting mm-hmm. down roots up there. Oh, yeah. And that sort of made me think of like, okay, now we're in a different we're like in a totally different phase and this is like adulting while working in the cheese industry. (laughs) Right. So has that changed? Has, has that felt like a a seismic shift? I mean, as a non homeowner, I imagine that owning your own home is to me, it feels like it will be a seismic shift when it happens. Um, has that changed your perspective on the work and sort of what you need from it, both sort of, maybe physically and mentally, but financially and in terms of like your, the career ahead of you built on the one you've done so far. Yeah, I think for it's all, it's sort of all, I don't know which came first, like which feeling came first, but it's sort of knowing that I can, yeah, put down roots here. It has to do with, I mean, part of it is just like this sense of place, this feeling that I have about this place. It just feels right. I love the local mm-hmm. communities. I love, um, you know, like the landscape, I like the winter is brutal, but I really, I just like it. I like mm. all the seasons up there. I like, um, I don't know, everything it has to offer. And so that's part of it. And it's also working for Jasper Hill is, yeah, the first time that I've worked for a, you know, like sort of a real, like a company, not an independent right. Right. Um, entity or shop, like just some, some, something that's a little bit more, you know, with it's benefits. It's more of like and, an environment. Um, so is that the first time you're, you've had benefits? Yes. 
Wow. Yep. Um, yeah, which is kind of crazy. I've been mm-hmm. in this industry for, you know, a, a decade now. Yeah. And it's, um, to be honest, I don't know, like the shift, like there's a lot of things to celebrate about, you know, the changes I've made. I'm really happy with where I am. I sort of feel like yeah. um, I've been at Jasper Hill for a year and a half now and I'm starting to like find my spot. I am finding a balance between, you know, I'm at the creamery mm-hmm. three days a week now, two days a week. I work with um, Zoe on kind of marketing stuff. I'm going to be taking on more social media and doing, you know, photography. Yeah. And that's great. Um, it's all sorts of little things to just sort of picking up these little pieces of, you know, I used to be a cheesemonger, so I can help anytime there are visitors, you know, cheesemongers right. or shop owners. Anytime we have cheese camp, I like to, you know, get involved with that. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for me to like use this like eclectic mix of skills that I've gained mm-hmm. over the, um, you know, past 10 years working in, you know, different shops and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. but it gives me, I feel very like secure. Like I, mm. because the company is growing you know, we've already just in the past year and a half that I've been here between like, you know, the new goats and the new cheeses we're coming out with using right. goat's milk, like that's a major change. Yeah. We have more, more um, employees every year, you know, like we're, I don't know, we're always like hiring. To, I don't know. It's, it's really yeah. exciting. I just feel like, yeah, there's always going to be kind of somewhere for me to grow into or mm. a new project to help take on um, starting to kind of train up on, sensory evaluation stuff and mm. we'll be helping to lead um our r&d tastings which i think is really fun maybe the most fun tasting because it's all yeah <laughs> it's also hard we're like trying to hone in on what what even our goals right are like define what, what it is you're even doing and yeah. tasting and what you get um, you get to decide if it tastes right or not yeah <laughs> right? yeah like what's right what is the cheese supposed to taste like so that's like a, a team effort you know that i get to be a big part of um mm. i don't know that's like there's new opportunities all the time at a company mm. like this to um yeah gain new skills and and things like that but also like i'm i've and kind of been making about the same amount of money for the past several years. And it's yeah. not part of it is because I made a shift because I started something new. And now, right. I'm, you know, it's, um, I could have maybe, yeah, tried to stay in retail and, and gain some sort of, you know, like salary management role, which is not what I was looking for on like a personal, that's not, that wasn't my mm-hmm. personal career goal and not something I emotionally wanted to invest in at the time. Like I was just kind of done with retail. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's just kind of the reality of it is you can like switch gears and you can find these opportunities, but it's you not, might have to move. you might have to, but also, you know, my cost of living is way lower out here. I mean, right. even before I bought the house, like it's just living rurally is not as expensive as right. living in the city, you know, things like that. So. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, it's like a cheese career is definitely not linear by any means. And no, because yeah. of the the sort of the jumps that a lot of people do in between different links in the supply chain, the, that sort of like potential for wage stagnation or even taking mm-hmm. a taking a pay cut to sometimes jump to an, a different mm-hmm, realm mm-hmm. of the work is a real reality. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. And it's something that a lot of people are talking about right now. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people my age, our age, you know, sort of in this, like, um, whatever you want to call it, like a professional generation. Or right. Something. A of decade in or so. People who are yeah. trying to transition out of retail or out from behind the counter. And like, you've amassed these like incredible skills that mm-hmm. 
definitely can be applied in different ways in different sectors of the industry, but you have to be creative about it. And it's right. really hard to like, navigate. There isn't like a typical path that people take. And right. Do you I feel think like that right now, yeah, the reality is you have to, if, if you're switching gears, it might be an apprenticeship or an internship or, you right. know, something like that, that feels, you know, when you're 30 feels a little bit crazy to be like an unpaid intern or like a stipend, right. you know, something like that feels right. good. But, you know, it can open up a lot of yeah. pathways. Do you feel yeah. like you have had to, the times when you've kind of had more opportunity either at the sellers or previous to that, that they've been roles or projects that you have, identified and defined and kind of made the case for more than opportunities Um, that were presented, you know, by someone else? I, yeah, I think that self-advocacy is like a huge part of the game in Mm -hmm. in the food world in general. Like if you want to, I don't know, like I think I probably could have done more of that when I was thinking about, oh, wouldn't it be nice to teach a cheese class? Like I think I could have Hmm. you know, maybe tried harder, fought harder, made made it, you know, been a little bit more creative about ways to do that um, or yeah. something. Like you said, and I see a lot of people doing that. There's a lot of like, this is the other thing you can do is get very like entrepreneurial about it, right? And sort of like right. freelance or do private events on your own or make your own company. And, you know, some people have really, really succeeded with that. Right. Um, but yeah, I find even at Jasper Hill, it's like a lot of the stuff I this like opportunity to do photography was, you know, there was a need for it. I brought it up. I offered, you know, I said, I'm haven't done a lot of professional photography, but I can you know, step in if you need me to for now. And, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see where it goes. And, you know, it's growing. You have to ask for stuff or say, let me try this or, right. you know, maybe come up with a proposal, you know, on your own time and bring it, Right to the right people's attention or something, um, but that's it's a really hard thing. <laughs> it's scary, yeah. you know. <laughs> I feel like the it's definitely scary, especially just being in uncharted territory in any way is tricky. And if you're asking yeah. somebody to take a chance on you, that like yeah. in uncharted territory is a whole other bag. But I do think right. that more and more, especially with kind of like the the convergence of the challenges that the industry faces versus like the struggle of the worker, you know, that like wage stagnation or just like Mm -hmm. inability, you know, that it would take almost a decade of working this industry to get health insurance. I feel (laughs) like the thing that's, that it's exciting to me and that I'm excited to, to see more of are people looking around and saying, okay, how can I solve the problems through creating something? Um, And I think we've seen it, you know, we haven't really seen it like in the bigger, these, those like huge problems that need to be solved. But I'm curious, I really want to see it in distribution. I feel like people Mm -hmm. have innovated on retail a decent amount and um, definitely on the producer side with product. But it's, there's these other links in the chain that I think could, it'll be, I'm excited to see. Yeah, there are, like, some gaps that need to be closed. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole through the whole chain, like, cheese, cheese makers, the distance between, like, a cheesemaker and a consumer mm-hmm. is, like, pretty grand. And even within the industry, like, at ACS, a lot of times the cheesemakers don't get to go to that, that right. they're making the cheese, you know. So the people who go are, like, you know... Um, 
it's you know it's like a different team usually representing that's like you know right a sales team will go huge role to play to like represent the whole creamery and be like here we are like you know here we are you know to talk about this cheese that we're all really proud of and we have you know this sort of like attitude at Jasper Hill that everyone is on the sales team and you know Hmm. but um there's still this like gap in communication and I think that there's interest there that you know consumers want to hear things directly from producers and also distributors I mean we work with great distributors but there's still like a gap and that once the shoe leaves us you know and is in someone else's hands we don't always have control and there's like all these different points at which achieves change in quality for so many reasons over Mm -hmm. the course of its life before it reaches a customer and I think yeah it's like in everyone's best interest to like improve those communications like get everyone talking more and you know um, make those know. like it's, it's like make the supply chain more efficient, but also like just work better for everyone. I think that's the real yeah. charge. Yeah, and also understanding. I think people have a little bit of an idea. They understand that cheese making is hard work. Like it's mm. physically hard. It's financially hard. Like these people are trying super hard to do something really special that they like don't have to do. Or maybe right. you know it's like. It's very special, and um, people understand that. And people are, you know, starting to appreciate, you know, cheesemongers and things like that. Right. Um, and I think that part of it is, yeah, we need to understand really, like, the better understanding we have of each other's jobs and what we do, the work that goes into it, the decisions mm. that have to be made, like, how they're made. If we're all really yeah. transparent about that, I think that we can solve a lot of problems that way. Yeah, definitely. You know? And it's it's easier to see the value that everybody brings mm-hmm. to the table when there's exactly. more, I guess it's all about empathy at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, and I think as a cheesemonger, I don't know, I felt really lucky living in New York. I felt like I got to tour warehouses a lot, which is, yeah. I think, really, like, people want to tour creameries and farms and caves, and for, like, obvious reasons, they're, like, remarkable. It's, like, amazing to see that stuff in action, but right. I would really encourage cheesemongers to visit their distributors warehouses and stuff too and like see what it's like what they're dealing with and like how it how it works how they pick things for you talk to them about you know your needs and i think that it makes i don't know like that relationship is i think sometimes not paid as much attention to as the relationship you know yeah totally very interesting stuff well we're getting to the end of the episode, but I have one more question mm-hmm. that I'm excited sure. to hear your answer on. <laughs> it's sort of like a, a more sweeping question, but if you had to point to one thing, like, is there one way that you feel like your perspective has changed about the cheese industry or about what any segment of it through having these very different and mm-hmm. unique positions that you've had? I think it's really uh, two things that I think are connected is that it's really, it's all about um, the people, like the people are what make it. It's like mm. you, the, this network of very like passionate, driven, intelligent people who are like, cheese is this weird ancient thing that we've all decided for some reason to like be obsessed with and take really good care of and <laughs> like share like spend our whole lives i don't know it's crazy um <laughs> you have all these people from that are like are really different creative you know scientists or whatever mm-hmm. um and it's that like people i think that makes for like a good organization on like many levels like when you 
are in a large group of cheese people or just looking at one company, like having varied skills and stuff, like backgrounds really mm. helped. And I think um, part of that too is, I'm trying to figure out where to say it. Um, it, yeah, cute, like to, um, to try to connect those dots as much as possible, I think is really helpful. Like the, like, yeah. and, and to not be, like elitist about anything or to mm. like to the big picture, like always like yeah. to be able to take a step back and see how maybe whatever, there's maybe a cheese company that you think of as like sort of big and industrial and like mm-hmm. who needs them. But when you start to see the roles that all of these cheese makers have been playing in the industry over like the course right. of like many decades or, you know, um, right. the more you understand the role that, every type of business, you know, sort of plays, I think it's really important. Maybe also how interconnected everything is, right? Like I know at least for myself, it's like working at the larder with you. I think I, I thought of those, that esoteric cheese selection in kind of a Mm -hmm. vacuum. And since then it's been like, Oh, everything is everything, you know, like there really aren't these like cut and dry segments of the industry as Mm -hmm. much as it might seem at first glance. Yeah. And everyone had to learn from somewhere else or like, you know, there's, there's all these, um, all these origin stories are like very different and very Mm -hmm. important. And, um, Hmm. Yeah, understanding, yeah, it's the thing that, you know, Mateo says all the time about a rising tide floats all boats, and I think it's like, yeah. super true. The longer you work in it, the more you see that everyone is, like, playing a pretty important role here and, like, totally doing their best, you know, for, you know, their, you know, constituency or whatever. It's, yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, Lilith, thank you so much for joining me on air today. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> I'm totally inspired by your journey. And I know we'll, we'll all be watching to see how you continue to influence the industry in the years ahead. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For those cheese professionals out there, we would love to hear more about your experience in the cheese industry. What challenges have you tackled and what barriers are as yet unsurmounted in your professional journey? Please keep the conversation going with us on Twitter or Instagram at Cutting the Curd or shoot us an email at cuttingthecurd at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the food world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.